0: Would you please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 55 as we are working through the book of Isaiah. Uh, We are going to work through the entire chapter. It is a shorter chapter. It's only 13 verses. Uh, It is a beautiful chapter of divine grace and mercy flowing forth from heaven for us, for his people. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to be empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. So, Here's where we are. We're in the book of Isaiah. We're in this sweet passage of compassion and comfort from the Lord God Almighty. And as we come to this passage, there is this word that comes there, and it is this word come. And and we find this word in the ESV. It actually comes out to be five times in the first three verses of this idea of come. But actually, in the first verse, it says come, but it's actually not there. It's translated come, but it's more this word. It's this Hebrew word known as hoy. You know, which uh, was basically like, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. And it's really the, 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 the idea of the, the Lord God coming alongside those who are, are, are sad, those who are miserable, those who are struggling. And he is saying to them, hey, hoy, let me grab your attention so that you will know what I'm saying to you. And it says, come. And there's, and there's two different types of people that we see that are characterized in this first section. And and there's, you know, I try to do alliteration most weeks, and we're going to try it again this week as well. And it's this, is that we receive the gift of God um, in this section, that we are called to receive the gift of God. And we know that, and a lot of us are really excited because next Saturday we're about to receive a whole lot of gifts, especially if you're young. Um, But there's this idea of receiving this gift, And there's two types of people that we see in verse one and verse two. And here's what we find. The first is this Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So that first person that we see is, is this they don't have anything. It's 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 like this. Um, John Piper said it like this. He says, your heart, these people, your heart feels like the brown grass in my backyard. It hasn't rained for a long time. A lot of old hopes have dried up. Dreams have waited and almost died. Dead end streets again and again, empty, unfulfilled, dissatisfied, knowing there has to be something more to life. But now everything that looks good is out of reach. No money, no strength, no motivation, but at least a longing. And there's some thirst there. We read this in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And what we find is that this person who comes... They don't have anything. And, and the idea of he who has no money, that's literally translated, he who has no silver to purchase anything, the invitation is there. This is a great invitation to those who are weak and needy and do not have anything. And he says, come. If you have thirst, come. Now, when we, when we look at these words as they, they work themselves out, um, there's this idea of water. And we know that um, there's water, there is um, wine, and there is milk. And those three attributes in this first verse represent this. Um, the first is water. Water is refreshing. If you've ever been parched, if you've ever been, you know, without you know, so cotton mouth that you're just longing to receive something, you know, water is what you desire. If you're out in the desert, if you're out hiking, you just want water, fresh water. And and this water is refreshing to the soul. So imagine that you are. You're poor and needy. You can't find any fulfillment in life. You've tried all the different options and you are at your wit's end. And he says, come. Be refreshed with the waters of the gospel. But he also uses two other images there. And he uses the image of of milk there. So, so, what is milk? You know, come and buy wine and milk. So, but let's talk about milk. I mean, what is milk referenced in, in the Word of God? Well, milk is so that you will be nourished and that you will have growth in your life. So, not only refreshment with water, but also nourishment so that you will grow and grow strong, so that there is a firm foundation, so that you will be an oak of righteousness rather than you know, a bramble or a thorn. And there's this idea that, that milk in the New Testament says you know, we, we give milk to, to young ones. Obviously, we give, we give milk to young ones. Everybody who gets older ends up becoming lactose intolerant. But, you know, for young ones, there, there's nurture, there's nourishment, there's growth that we see. And then finally, it says wine. Come get wine. Now, now the, the image here is one of joyful exuberance and sort of, you know, just joyful singing of all that the Lord has done. So not only are you refreshed within your soul, not only are you nourished for growth with with this milk of the word, but also you will find great joy. And we read that at the end of Isaiah 55, where it says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So there's there's this triumphant pattern of joy and exhilaration. And that's really what those three those three terms mean in Isaiah fifty-five, one. And essentially Jesus is saying, if you don't have, if you are at your end, come. Come, come, come. Now, Jesus said this in John chapter seven, verse thirty seven. He was at the feast of booths. And he says this, Jesus says this in John, and I think this is obviously um, an allusion back to Isaiah 55, on the last day of the Feast of Booths. And now, just to give you a reference, the Feast of Booths is when they would celebrate their wilderness wanderings. The people would come to Jerusalem, they would set up booths, and they would remember that God took care of them in the desert. So remember, you're in the desert. What do you need in the desert? Well, besides manna, you also need a lot of water in the desert as well. And so as they're celebrating this feast, Jesus comes and He says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. There's this other... There's this idea... That when people are poor and needy and they show up to Jesus, Jesus says, Come. When when the woman of ill repute shows up in Luke chapter seven at the Pharisee's house, Jesus did not push her away. But rather he noticed that she was thirsty and hungry for pardon, for atonement, for for something in her life that would actually have meaning. And he says, and and, and as you know, she wets his feet with her tears and washes his feet with her hair he looks at her and says your sins are forgiven what did she bring to jesus she brought a thirsty heart she was hungry because she knew that she could not purchase for herself her salvation she could not purchase purpose in her life We see this throughout the Gospels. The thing about Jesus that is so sweet to us is that when people who are needy and they are at their end and they come to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you please do something for me? Would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you bless me? Please, Lord, please, please, please. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus reaches out to them and he touches them and he heals them. Now, that's the first type of person that we see. The second type of person that we see is in Isaiah 55, verse two. It says this. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, this idea comes best the, the other guy, this is the other guy that we see um, the, the other guy, he's, he's burnt out. He's at the end of his rope. He's, he's still spending and still working, dreaming and chasing and searching, experimenting. He might have a different job, a different city, a different car, a different house, a different wife, a new computer, a new boat, new books, new bike, new grill, new season tickets, new diet, new looks. There's still a lot of looking around left in this person. But still, no pot at the end of the rainbow, no fountain of youth, and every triumph peters out. The applause fades. The boat is boring. The style passes. Everything new gets old and the options get fewer and fewer. And yet this guy or woman is still spending all of their money and resources, time, talent and treasure pursuing that which will satisfy their souls. Now, this really is is a picture of the woman at the well in John chapter four, when Jesus, who goes to this woman who has had many, many husbands, and the man he's with now and the man she's with now is not even her husband but she is trying to find purpose in her life through a relationship with a man. And I'm here to tell you you know you can ask any woman out here that they will not find ultimate purpose in their life with a man other than Jesus. Every man will disappoint you. Okay? If his name is not Jesus and I don't mean Jesus, I mean, Jesus of Nazareth, who came many, many years ago and rules and reigns in heaven. Okay, that's who I'm talking about. And what we find is that Jesus says to this woman, he says, as he's meeting her at the well, he says, if you and they're talking about water, She goes, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. of somebody who is pursuing purpose and life and fulfillment and other things that Jesus brings, and He brings repentance. Now, look at what verse 2 says in Isaiah 55. It says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? You know, Again, Jesus in John chapter 6 says, I am the bread of life. And you labor for that which does not satisfy. So what He's really saying is that, that people out there are pursuing all these things and it's all a bunch of moldy bread. Have you ever um, gotten a meal at a restaurant and you were just overwhelmingly disappointed in it? I mean, just you received it and maybe the meat was just like like shoe leather. And you're like, this is terrible. And you're like, I can't believe that I actually have to pay for this. And what the Lord God of heaven is saying there is that you are not getting what will satisfy your soul. And yet you're laboring for it. And he says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, the idea of that rich food is that there will be an abundance of food and there will be food that will actually delight your your soul. And then he says in verse three, it says, incline your ear and come to me. Now, notice what he says. There's a transition there that happens from one and two to verse three. Because at first it says, "Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come by and eat. Come by wine and milk." But in verse three it says, "Incline your ear and come to me. Come to the Savior. Come to the one who will bring you salvation." And R- Blake read this earlier from Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." And let the one who hears say, "Come." And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Now, let, let me let me reference this idea of without price. Um, because sometimes we just have this idea that if the price is too low, it's just too good to be true, right? I mean, we, we just don't think that someone will actually give us something that doesn't cost, or something's not valuable unless it has great cost to it. And yet it says that the gospel is there and it says, come and, and just receive this gift from the father, receive what the father has done for you in the son. And, and again, the reference there is the idea of Isaiah 53, just a couple chapters over where, where we read this. We all like and I'm in 53, six, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then verse four, I'll go up. I'm reading backwards. It's like I'm reading Hebrew. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The idea that we come without price is that we don't earn our salvation, but rather Jesus as our substitute makes atonement for our sins forever. And in verses 1, 2, and 3 of Isaiah 55, it's, it's basically two different guys. Are you coming to Jesus knowing that you you've got nothing? i got nothing to offer you, Jesus. I'm just coming to receive the gift. Or are you like the person in, in verse 2 that you're still pursuing? You're still spending all your money, your time, and your talent for that which is not bread. And for your labor, for that which does not satisfy how many of us have relatives and friends and neighbors who are pursuing what we would quote unquote call the American dream, thinking that if they just reach the top of the ladder, they will be satisfied. The, the promise there is as we receive this gift of God is this and, and that incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And that's this idea of, of listening in verse 2, inclining your ear, hearing the gospel message. And it says, and I will make you with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. And essentially he's saying, the covenant that I made with King David, this covenant of eternal, um, uh, this eternal covenant I will make, and it will be the, the, the progeny of David, the son of David, that I will make this covenant. And you will be linked in the midst of this covenant of David, because of your faith in the One called Jesus. Now, um, let me go on to verse 6. Because if we receive the gift of God, we also see in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 this idea of repentance and the righteousness of God. The idea of the repentance and righteousness of God. Now, um, Matthew Henry in his commentary uh, with regard to repentance, he says this... um, And it relates, right? It relates to you spending your money for that which is not bread, but rather you're pursuing Christ. It says, he says this, he says, We must part with our puddle water, nay, with our poison, that we may procure this wine and milk. Now, today's a good day to think about puddle water. Okay? Because all the little kids are going to be leaving the church and they're going to be stomping in the puddles. And I I encourage them to do that uh, because I think it's fun and my kids are older now and I don't have to worry about it. Uh, And they'll all be sugared up. But can you imagine? I mean, essentially what he's saying is that bread that does not satisfy, Matthew Henry calls puddle water. And he says, no, that's not even good enough. He goes, nay, with our poison, that people will actually pursue poison, that which will actually lead to their destruction and death. We must leave it behind that we may procure this wine and milk. And that's the idea of repentance. Now, in verse 6 of chapter 55, Isaiah 55, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, that's the idea of saying that we're called to pursue the Lord. Now, we pursue the Lord in his word. We pursue the Lord in prayer. We pursue the Lord in in the people, the gathered assembly of the saints. And in verse 7, it says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, there's this idea of seeking the Lord for forsaking the wicked way and then returning to the Lord. Now, that's the idea of repentance. Now, repentance as it's described by um, let me quote J.C. Ryle here he says repentance is a thorough change of man's natural heart upon the subject of sin we are all born in sin now if I were to um, define what sin is sin is anything that goes against God's will anything that we should do that we don't do and anything that we do um, attempt that we shouldn't do Um, we are all born in sin we naturally love sin We take to sin as soon as we can act and think, just as the bird takes to flying and the fish takes to swimming. There never was a child that required schooling or education in order to learn deceitfulness, selfishness, passion, self-will, gluttony, pride, and foolishness. These things are not picked up from bad companions or gradually learned by a long course of tedious instruction. They spring up of themselves, even when boys or girls are brought up alone. The seeds of them are evidently the natural product of the heart. The aptitude of all children to these evil things is an unanswerable proof of the corruption and fall of man. Now, when this heart of ours is changed by the Holy Spirit, when this natural love of sin is cast out, then takes place that change, which the word of God calls repentance. The man in whom the change is wrought is said to repent. He may be called in one word a penitent man. Now, he describes this, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but he says this is what true repentance really looks like. First, true repentance, and, and again, true repentance as described, or the idea of forsaking the way of the wicked and returning to the Lord. We I've heard it described this way. it's It's when you're moving towards sin and you stop. You don't just stop. You literally turn around and you go towards the Lord. So in this way, you're heading towards sin. I don't mean for this side of the room to feel like you're sinners, you know. But you are, you know, and for over here, you know, we're turning and moving towards the Lord. OK, so don't feel good about yourself. But um, but this idea is this, that true repentance begins with a knowledge of sin, that you actually understand that where you're walking is dangerous, that it is not where God wants you to go, that it will not lead to your flourishing. It will not lead to your benefit. It will not lead to a good place that you have to understand that true repentance begins with a knowledge of sin. It's the eyes of the penitent man or woman are opened. He sees with dismay and confusion the length and breadth of God's holy law. Again, I'm quoting J.C. Ryle here. Secondly, true repentance goes on to work sorrow for sin. So you are not your eyes are not just illuminated to the sin, but there's a sorrow that goes on in your heart led by the Holy Spirit so that you are actually sorry about the sin that you are either about to do, doing, have done. You notice it, you see it, but then there's a sorrow within your heart. The heart of a penitent man or woman is touched with deep remorse because of his past transgression. He is cut to the heart to think that he should have lived so madly and so wickedly. He mourns over time wasted, over talents misspent, over God dishonored, over his own soul injured. I know that's the case with some of you as you think about past transgressions that there's a sorrow and that's again true repentance is a knowledge of sin a sorrow for sin but then he says thirdly true repentance proceeds further to produce a confession of sin the tongue of a penitent man is loosed he feels he must speak to that to to that God against whom he has sinned something within him tells him he must cry to God that's why we have you know this you know time of silent confession of sin I'm hoping that your eyes are open to it, that there's sorrow within you, and that there's a confession of sin to the Lord God. But then true repentance is not just acknowledging it, it's not being sorry, it's not just confessing, but true repentance furthermore shows itself in a thorough breaking off from sin. Meaning, you're not going to do it anymore. Or you're doing everything you can to stop doing that which you know Will, will not lead to flourishing in the midst of God's kingdom. The life of a penitent man or woman is altered. The course of his daily conduct is entirely changed. A new king reigns within his heart. He puts off the old man. What God commands, he now des- desires to practice. And what God forbids, he now desires to avoid. He strives in all ways to keep clear of sin, to fight with sin, to war with sin, to get the victory over sin. He ceases to do evil. And that's sort of this idea of of no longer, you see it, it's bad, you, you understand it, there's sorrow, there's a turning away, and now you're saying, I'm not doing that anymore. There's a breaking off from sin. And then lastly, what Ryle says with regard to repentance, what true repentance is, he says, true repentance in the last place shows itself by producing in the heart a settled habit of deep hatred of all sin. Now, you don't hear that preached a whole lot today that I'm telling you to hate something that we are called to hate and despise our sin. The mind of a penitent man or woman becomes a mind habitually holy. He abhors that which is evil and cleaves or holds on to that which is good. He delights in the law of God. He comes short of his own desires, not unfrequently. Now, we have to be careful of that about that, because sometimes in the hatred of all of of all sin, we can actually become very (laughs) self-righteous in the midst when we look at other people's sin patterns. Because we can look at other people. And by the way, many of us are really, really experts at finding the sin patterns in other people around us. But we have a really hard time identifying the sin patterns within our own heart. That's We call that speck and plank. Uh, we're calling we're, we're playing the game of log in. Uh, I got a log in my eye, but I, I can see the speck in your eye. You know, Jesus says that we're called to take the log out of our own eye so that we can you know, deal with ourselves first. But but there is this call in the midst of repentance to hate sin and to love the holiness of God, to love the law of God. And that's what true repentance is. Repentance is not just looking at sin and saying, I'm sorry. It's not just that. But it's, it's acknowledging sin. It's, it's seeing sin. Um, it's, it's the knowledge of sin. It's the sorrow of sin. It's the confession of sin. It's the breaking off from sin. And it's the hatred of all sin. And that's what we see in this idea in, in verses 7-7. Uh, of Isaiah 55. And and then it goes on to say here, you know, like there's this idea of turning away from wickedness, turning away from unrighteous thoughts, the unrighteous man has thoughts and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And we believe that. In first, John, we read the word that we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in verse 8 and 9, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, we we might initially think that this is sort of the idea of the Joseph story, that God is working out all these things for our good. But I think what he's actually saying there, he's saying, I am so holy compared to you. There's a great chasm that separates the unrighteous man From a holy God. That the thoughts of God are not his thoughts. Um, That that the Lord thinks only what is right and good and holy. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The, The Lord God of heaven says we are separated because of sin. But we see this, that there is relief which flows forth from heaven. So we receive the gift of God. There's repentance in the righteousness of God, but then there's relief which flows from heaven. We find this in verse 10 of Isaiah 55. Now, you might not see how this... uh, Let let me me relate this. Um, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, here is the idea there. Is that there's a separation there between the thoughts and the ways of the Lord God and the wickedness of man. So the idea of rain and snow coming down from heaven, it's that they come down from heaven and that he's bridging the gap between heaven and man. You know, rain and snow fall from up high and they fall upon man, and they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And he likens this in this way. He says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It's the Word of God. The Word of God going out in power. It's the proclamation of the Word. It's the Gospel message going forth. And he's saying that this Gospel message, this, this heaven-sent message... And, and we celebrate that right now in the midst of the Christmas season, because that message that we celebrate is Jesus you know taking on flesh and dwelling with his people. We read that in John chapter one, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We read it in the book of Hebrews, where it says that that in, long ago prophets proclaimed what what would come, but now we have Jesus showing up in the flesh. Jesus actually shows up. And so what we find, in the midst of this section, as we see this bridging the gap is that the word of God, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, is bridging the gap between a holy God and a sinful man. And it's working repentance. It's working itself in faith and hope and love in Jesus. When we were um, uh, in college many, many years ago now, as it seems, um, at James Madison, one of the things that we would do is we would actually share our faith and we were involved in Campus Crusade. And when we would um, describe, um, and there's this thing called the four spiritual laws that we would work through, Um, you know, that, you know, the first one is that God has a plan for you. Um, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And the second is that, you know, your sin separates you from God. And the the image that we would have there is um, we would oftentimes use the image of the Grand Canyon. How many of you guys have been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? I mean, like, you're just kind of in awe of it when you get there. It's pretty sweet. Um, the image is this uh, that we would give people is that imagine that, you know, you're an Olympic athlete and you're a great long jumper and you're standing on the south side of the Grand Canyon. Are you able to actually long jump all the way to the other side of the Grand Canyon? And the reality is, no, you can't. You can't do it. Now, you might be the best long jumper in the history of man but it's not going to end pretty. And and you know you might be not a, a great long jumper but but regardless there's this idea that there's a chasm between God and man. So so what is it that that brings or bridges the chasm between a holy God and a sinful man? And it's the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It's Jesus showing up and bringing forgiveness and living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we should have deserved. You see, I I mean, I've said this before, you know, because all of us are sinners, we must pay the price for our sin. And the Bible says this, the Bible says either you will pay the price for your sin. And for the wages of sin is death. For the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Either you will pay the penalty for your sin or an, Jesus will that's it those are the only two options and you might come up to me and say well George that is, isn't fair and I'm like that's above my pay grade it's above your pay grade that's the way the Lord God of heaven has chosen to reveal his salvation to us and it's a good news for us because it means that we don't have to, all we have to do is come thirsty all we have to do is come hungry and and i will give this to you i will give you water that refreshes i will give you milk that nourishes i will give you wine that brings you great joy and all you have to do is receive it you see this the separation what we find is that this this you know and again it's alluded to the rain and the snow that come down from heaven and do not return but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater your seed to the sower and bread to the eater it's that this this kernel of the gospel will fall forth, and through the death of Jesus, it will bring forth and sprout, and it will bring forth a beautiful garden. And his word that goes out from his mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. There is relief which flows forth from heaven, and we also see that the word of God will not be thwarted. Now that brings me comfort. That brings me great comfort to know that when I go to somebody and I share the gospel message with them, that it's not me who has the power, but it is the word of God that brings forth the power to save. It is the Holy Spirit working in that individual, raising them from death to life. It's not about what we say or how we say it or how eloquently we say it, but it's about the word that has power. And in verse 55, verse 12 and 13, as I finish up because everybody's getting hungry now, there's this idea of we look forward to heaven. We look forward to when this, this seed that falls and, and, is, and is planted in the earth and it grows forth and brings about a mighty harvest. It says this, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The idea of joy and peace. There's something beautiful. Um, I mean, that that really is the image of a wedding scene at the recessional, right? Because at this point, um, the bride and groom haven't had any time to fight yet, right? I mean, give them a little bit of time. I mean, probably on the way out, you know, somebody's going to trip them up or, you know, something like that at the wedding ceremony. But at that point, you know, there's this there's this picture that we have of of two people who are in love and who are leaving and they are being led forth in joy, and, and and there's peace between them and there's great hope. I mean, that's the picture of salvation. That's the picture of heaven. That's the picture of Re- Revelation chapter 22. That the Alpha and Omega will rule and reign and that we will be joyful and that there will be peace within our hearts and that the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And I, and the only thing I can think of with that is that there will be such, such a beauty that just enraptures our, our hearts and souls that we go, man, look at creation. I mean, when we see that, there's, there's just glimpses of that right now. As you're outside and you see the creative, the creation of the Lord and you see a sunset or a sunrise, you see the clouds and you go, that is the glory of the Lord. And what we will experience in heaven is a million times greater than that, an infinite amount of times greater than what we see, the, the most beautiful sunset at the Grand Canyon. Or at Windsor Castle or wherever it might be. And the, and the promise is, th- is this in verse 13 as he finishes. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And I think of crepe myrtles there. And it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign shall not be cut off. And, and that's where, where everyone will bend their knee and bow their head and proclaim that Yahweh is their God and that Jesus alone saves and that we are adopted into the family of God. And we will show up and we will be with our father And He will show us the rooms in His mansion which He has prepared prepared for us. It will be a good day. And all you have to do, all you have to do is come. Come and buy and eat without money and without price. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word for it encourages us. Father, it is balm to our souls and father i pray lord that we would be people who love you and come to you and we would not think that we can earn it or buy it but father that we would come and father in the midst of our life i pray that we would respond to the gospel in faith and repentance that we would see our sin that we would be sorrowful of our sin that we would confess our sin that we would want to put off our sin and that father then we would hate our sin And that there would be great comfort in the Gospel of Jesus. Father, that we would know that Your Word comes and flows forth from a a bountiful um, God who, who loves to give good things to His people. And that that would cause us to rejoice. And that we would sing like never before. We look forward to that day. Father, help us. Save us. Remind us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.